put on compassionate hearts. Isn't that interesting? That's the very first thing he asked. Hearts of compassion. Recognize that everybody is fighting some kind of battle. And you, don't, you can't see it, and everyone looks like they're pretty squared away. But everybody's got their own battles, and so you just can expect that. And show them compassion. The kind of compassion you have been shown. Put on compassion heart. Put on kindness. The initiative that thinks of other people before you think of yourself. Like, what might they need in this situation? And show them grace. Put on humility. So you, this, this wardrobe is a different color than what everybody else wears, isn't it? Where you should be proud of this or proud of that. Where you should love yourself. This is not love yourself, be proud of yourself kind of language. This is be humble. And then be meek. Put, on, put a governor on your strength. So that when you're around other people, you don't bowl them over. Put on compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Do this for a long time. That's what it means to be patient. Don't get tired of being this kind of person. And then verse 13 says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. See, it's all good, isn't it? until you get there. Because I, when I'm by myself, I have a really compassionate heart. I just want you to know. And I'm pretty kind and humble if I say so myself and meek. I, I got it pretty together when I'm by myself. But you throw somebody else in the mix and all of a sudden it's like, ah! i got to bear with them. I don't like to bear with them. Because then I really do have to be meek and humble and kind. But I'll tell you what, it's hard to bear with one another. That's, that's, why, that's why the story really isn't my story. The story does involve, necessarily involves other people. And when I bear with them, I'm expressing the love that Christ has loved me with. I'm expressing that love to them. Now, one of the things that, uh, that happens when you've been around a long time, I've been here a long time, and I, I normally think of like, ah, oh, bearing with someone, right? One of the things that happens, though, is that you've been around a while, people have to bear with you. We were in a conversation um, this week with somebody who's been around a long time, and, and most people who are around a long time, they don't, they don't say much about how I used to be when I was younger, but it actually came up in conversation this time. And a uh, person began to describe some things that I had done and said. Um, and I, I didn't like hearing those things reflected back to me. And it got so bad that Marcia interrupted and she just said, did you really say that? And I had to say, well, yeah. And one of, the, one of the great things is that this person bore with me. See, I'm going to always think like, ah, oh, I don't want to bear with other people. But boy, I'll tell you what, I really do want other people to bear with me. 
And I think most of us do, don't we? We want to be part of a team where people bear with one another, where people expect the best of one another, and even when we don't make it, we're patient with one another. And then he says, if one has a complaint, or literally, if one has a reason, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And this is, this is where the identity really comes into play. Because what he's talking about here is the fact that because you have been chosen and loved, because you've been set apart for God, you need to act like that. You don't produce so that you are loved by God. See, I, I mean, if you hear... I mean, you can find sermons anywhere, can't you, on YouTube or wherever. If you hear sermons, so many sermons that you hear say that, you know, if you, if you do this, then God will bless you. If you do this, then God will really shower you with all of His favor. Or they'll suggest to you that you are so special that God loved you. You're the center of the story. And the reality is, here the end of verse 13, it isn't that you do this so God does this. It isn't that you're so special, therefore, it's really God has done so much for you by forgiving you. The least you can do is forgive somebody else. The behavior that God wants us to have begins with how He's behaved toward us. The fact that He's loved us means that we love other people. The fact that He's forgiven us means that we forgive other people. And so, the gospel is not that you get so good at forgiving other people. The gospel is that God has been so good to forgive you. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't expect I'll have to forgive anybody for as grievous an offense as God has had to forgive me of. Because His forgiveness, His forgiveness is undeserved and it comes freely. And so that's what He says, as the Lord has forgiven you in that free and overflowing way, go ahead and forgive other people. Not because they deserve it, because you didn't deserve your own, but because you have been forgiven. And then he says, above all this, the last item of clothing is to put on your coat. Put over everything else, put on love. Because your identity is someone who has been loved, therefore love other people in return. It's interesting, I was joking earlier about being how compassionate my heart is, how kind I am, how humble I am, how meek I am and patient when I'm by myself. And no one can see. The reality is, the only way that people can see love is when you're with them. And that love is the first thing that they see. Put on above all else love, so that when they first see you, they see you're a loving person. It's that surfacing. It's supported now by patient and compassionate hearts, yes, and kindness, and all of these things. But what they see is that they see that you love them. 
And so what you find here is that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is not a solitary thing, but it's something that happens when other people are around you. And you have to be patient, and you have to be kind, and you have to be humble, and you have to bear with them. And so this transformation that He gives you with this new heart and this new self shows up in your relationships. And so before I go farther, though, I just want you to ask yourself the question, is this how your family would describe you? The people who can see into your life, would they describe you as having a compassionate heart or being patient or being kind? Would they describe you as bearing with other people? Because that is what you're invited in this text to put on. Like, go, go find this in, that, in the wardrobe that Christ has given you. Because Christ is all of these things, isn't He? And His life within you will make this happen. And so you need to go back to Christ in repentance and faith and ask Him to help you with these things. So does that, and would the people closest to you describe you as fitting this um, uniform. Well, the second place that this changes, uh, the transformation that is wrought by Christ, the second place that changes is that it changes your outlook. Look at verses 15 and 16. 15 and 16 tell you how it changes your outlook. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. <clears throat> now, finally, right? We, we've run into something that we like. I like peace. I like not to be anxious. I like it when peace rules in my heart. And I do. And I should. Because really, the work that Christ has done has been to bring peace. My biggest conflict was with God Himself. In chapter 1, verse 20, tells me that He has given me peace even there. It says in, in Colossians 1, 20, through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether in heaven, earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. On the cross, on the cross, God has made peace between you and Him so that you might live with the peace of Christ ruling. And so there is a sense in which letting the peace of Christ rule is this internal thing because that's how you experience it with God. But if you look at the verse... Verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. This peace that I experience internally has to be expressed on the outside. So that my peace is not just I sit with my legs crossed and am peaceful in some meditation, but rather I have to interact with other people and be a peacemaker. So the peace of Christ is both internal and external, and it must rule. It does, it does the job of an umpire in a baseball game. It's the one that calls the balls and the strikes. This is out of bounds, this is inbounds. 
It's the one that enforces the rules. It is the peace of Christ that governs all of your life. And so your outlook is one that is one of peace. In fact, Romans 14 verse 19 says, So then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So the peace of Christ is ruling. You're going to be, you're going to be doing the things that match peace. And so peace is part of your outlook. Verse 16 uh, gives another shape to it. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The peace ruling ends in thankfulness. The word of Christ dwelling in you richly ends with thankfulness. But I want you to see here that this word of Christ is really the way that you put on all of these other things, isn't it? When the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, you become compassionate. When the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, you become patient and humble. You can think of the Word of Christ as the mirror that you hold up to yourself to say, do I look like I'm a follower of Jesus today? Have I put on these other things? The Word of Christ dwells in you richly, so you read it and you listen to it and you attend church where it's preached. And when it dwells in you richly, it does two things. It teaches and it admonishes. The the teaching is positive. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to do. The admonishing is this is what you need to avoid. This is what you need not to be doing. And so there is this positive and negative effect of the Word of God being applied in wisdom. Now the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. Now again, what kind of story do we think we're writing? Our own story, right? But the you here is the plural you. It's the you that's across the room from you right now. It's the us, not the me. And so the Word of Christ must dwell in you together, richly, so that together you are teaching and admonishing. You are, you are saying positive things and you're warning. And you're doing it wisely, so you're not just blowing people up. You're saying what needs to be said in love. And you're saying it, look at how you're saying it to one another. At the end of, of uh, verse 16 there, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So part of what we're doing as a church is that we are trying to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly as we sing. And what is the singing of the church supposed to be doing? The singing of the church is one of the ways the the, uh, Word of Christ is richly dwelling in us. And so the songs that we sing are intended to teach and admonish. The songs that we sing are to remind us of our identity in Christ, who we are, and it reminds us then of the behaviors we need to express. 
It reminds us what team we're on and what jersey we need to wear. That's part of the role of the singing. In other words, the worship that we do here, the corporate singing we do, is instruction. Our hope is that as you sing, you are reminded that God is holy, holy, holy. That you are reminded that we are sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. All of those things that we sing are intentional so that you are, we are trying to help you do what Colossians 3.16 says. Now, just so you know, I mean, we, we are pretty serious about this. We're not trying to give you some emotional experience at church. I do think the Lord can capture your heart and give you an emotional experience, but that's not our aim. Our aim is to, to have words to the music rather than the musical style that instructs and admonishes. And that we, the, the musicians up here, enable you to do it for one another. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You are, your singing is not just for you. It's for somebody else. Which is why, uh, as opposed to some venues, I'll say it that way, our lights are on, not, not dark. Right? Because we're not trying to create an experience. We're trying to let you teach and admonish one another. That's why, you, you may not appreciate this, but I do, so I'm going to tell you. The pews are angled in, so you can see a little bit of other people. So those of you over here, look at these folks over here. Those of you over here, look over here. You can see one another, right? We don't want you to come in here as a place to hide. Because we want you to be doing something for the people that you can see. So that your experience is one of mutual building up rather than personal, uh, emotional satisfaction. Because this is really the New Testament kind of life. Now, the word of Christ dwelling in you, of course, is not limited to music or a corporate song, um, but the effect of it should be to produce in you this heart of thanksgiving and love for one another and remind you what it is like to play on Team Jesus. And then the final thing that I want to make sure you see here is that when you are changed by Christ, when you become a follower of Jesus, it changes your actions. It doesn't just change your outlook, doesn't just change your relationship, doesn't just change kind of how religious you are. It changes the way you approach every moment of every day. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now go ahead and leave that up for just a moment because I want you all to, to pay attention to this, right? Because I want you to recognize that our religion is not merely a Sunday morning thing. Because whatever you do in word or deed, so, so let's just take that little word for whatever, okay? 
How many things are included in the word whatever? A lot of them, right? There's another little word there. Do everything. Okay. How much is included in that little word? Well, maybe everything. Yes. In other words, what, what is supposed to happen is someone comes to know Jesus and begins to follow Him, and they're, every day they're going back to the closet and getting dressed with compassionate hearts and patience and humility and all the things. And the Word of Christ is dwelling in, in them, and the peace of Christ is ruling over them. And then every single thing they do throughout the day, throughout the week, is governed by the reputation of Jesus. Everything you say and do is marked by its relationship to Jesus. So think about that. How does your relationship to Jesus change the way that you drive? How does the reputation of Jesus reflect on how you work 9 to 5 during the week? How does your relationship to Jesus shape what you eat? How you talk to one another. What you do when you're alone on your computer. How does the reputation of Jesus change what you post on social media or what you forward to all your friends? You see, that is what is happening in this verse, isn't it? Whatever you do, in whatever context you find yourself in, everything has some relationship back to Jesus. Because now you're on His team. Now this has to do with the big things and the little things. I mean, the, the big things like, well, what college are you going to go to? Or what are you going to major in? Or who are you going to marry? Or what kind of education do you want for your children? What are you going to do in your retirement? All of that submits now to the reputation and your relationship with Jesus. Because whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it has to, certainly to do with the big things, but it also has to do with the little things, doesn't it? Should I forward this email? Should I hit snooze on the alarm? Should I call this friend? Should I shop online or in person? Even the little things reflect on the reputation of Jesus and have something to do with your relationship to Him. Because there is no plan in the New Testament for somebody to be religious on a Sunday and do whatever they want the rest of the week. There is Continuity, you might say, between your worship and your daily living. So that your daily life has exactly the same spiritual impact as your Sunday worship. 
I said this changes the big things and the small things. It certainly changes your family. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, it changes the way that husbands relate to wives and wives to husbands, the ways that parents relate to children, the way that you um, take care of those people in your household. Changes your relationships with the people close to you, certainly. Because submitting to Jesus has effects with other people. And then Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. People who, who are thinking about Jesus and everything they do, they pray a lot because they're trying to figure out how does this connect? Which of these decisions that I make is better for my relationship with Jesus? Then verse 3, it says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open for us a door of the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So one of the things you do is you pray for the promotion and the forward movement of the gospel. You pray for things like we're going to celebrate here at the dinner in just a little bit, how the word of God goes forward in multiple places. So you're concerned for the forward advance of the good news of Jesus. But then look at verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The expectation here is that if, if uh, Jesus is governing whatever you uh, do and whatever you say, it's certainly going to affect your family and it's certainly going to affect those who are close to you, your neighbors and your co-workers. And so, you should plan on that. Walk in wisdom toward them. Let the peace of Christ rule your conversation. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you talk to your neighbors. One of the ways that we've been trying to do this at New Life Church in the last little bit is to really encourage you to, to love and pray for your neighbors. We've been trying to do that for a long time. We found a new tool that uh, I would uh, commend to you. It's called Bless, Bless Every Home. And there um, should be a QR code up here that will help you uh, find it. But basically, it'll, if you go there, it'll connect you to our church and it will help you uh, connect to your neighbors so that you can pray for the people in your neighborhood. It'll offer to help you pray, even give you sample prayers and things. And once you begin to pray for them, naturally, you will begin to love and to share and to care for uh, your neighbors. So it will change the way that you live in your neighborhood as a Jesus follower. And so I asked you a moment ago, would your family, those closest to you, recognize that you are patient, that you are kind, that you have a compassionate heart, that you're humble? Let me ask you the same thing about your neighbors. Would those who live close to you recognize that you are a Jesus follower from what they know about you, from the way that you talk across the fence, from the way that you keep your yard, from the way that you show hospitality? Because really, the, the trickle-down effect of being a disciple of Jesus is it affects every area of your life. And so as a follower of Jesus, you are marked by otherworldly relationships, otherworldly, otherworldly outlook, and otherworldly actions. Those 
changes that Jesus brings in your life show up where you go. And so let me just leave you with this. What kind of church are we trying to make here with that picture before? We're, we're trying to create a church that immerses itself in God's story rather than make each, making each person the hero of their own individual stories. We're trying to create a church that's made up of meaningful relationships and life groups and congregations. One where individuals, disciples, love their neighbors and in congregations serve their cities. And so it's my hope that you, as a follower of Jesus, will join me in becoming the kind of church that really does believe the gospel and then really does have it change your life and your relationships and your outlook on life. And when that happens, the gospel will ultimately change the world. May God help us be that kind of church. Let's pray. Oh, great God and Father, we do love you and we need your help uh, to live as we should, to um, not try and earn your favor, but rather to live by faith in what Jesus has done for us. And so, God, would you encourage us this morning and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly now as we sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we'll thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.